This is Dr. Ronald Hoffman. As you know, I'm a big proponent of CBD to tonify the endocannabinoid system. I've found that it helps people relax and can support restful sleep, a real breakthrough in herbal products. The CBD brand that I take personally and recommend to my patients is Plus CBD from CV Sciences, which is now proud to introduce the Plus CBD Reserve Collection, a specially curated blend of full-spectrum cannabinoids. Rich and bold, the Reserve Collection products elicit strong feelings of calm, comfort and relief when intense support is needed. Enjoy a deeper CBD experience with Plus CBD's reserve collection of oils and gummies. All of their products are backed by science with clinically researched active ingredients. And with a 90-day satisfaction guarantee, you have nothing to lose. To learn more and to order, visit pluscbdoil.com slash Hoffman and use coupon code Hoffman30 for 30% off. That's pluscbdoil.com slash Hoffman for Plus CBD's new reserve collection. Welcome to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and I'm very pleased to say that uh, we have uh, one of our favorite guests in store for you today. He's Dr. David Perlmutter. Uh, known, of course, to you as author of Grain Brain and Brainwash, a frequent contributor here on Intelligent Medicine. Uh, he's a board-certified neurologist. He's a fellow of the American College of Nutrition, and he's a frequent lecturer at uh, places, uh, academic uh, centers at the World Bank, uh, Ivy League colleges. He's associate professor at the University of Miami Miller School of Medicine. He's a five-time New York Times bestselling author. That's quite an accolade. And uh is a recipient of the Linus Pauling Award for Innovative Approaches to Neurological Disorders. And uh, if I read in his entire bio, uh, time will be up. So uh, you can see him in an upcoming uh, PBS special, uh, which is debuting around the release of his new book entitled Dropping Acid. David, you know, uh, you, you are a true baby boomer invoking that title, Dropping Acid. Uh, well, Drop Acid. Drop acid, sorry. <laughs> Drop acid. Uh, so not to be confused with uh, psychedelic. And uh, what he's talking about in the book uh, is uric acid. So just like he almost single-handedly put uh, hemoglobin A1C in the map, uh, arguing for more stringent guidelines and uh, a low-carb diet, he's now focusing his expertise on something that uh, many of you have had uh, routine blood tests on, uric acid. And uh, his approach is that uric acid is a real key to understanding metabolism and risk for disease. So without further ado, here's Dr. Perlmutter. David, it's a pleasure having you back. Oh, gosh, Ron, it's it's great to talk to you. And, you know, the, the issue with uric acid is that we've noted it to be elevated along with metabolic challenges for a long, long time. I mean, the uh, known this for, for decades, but uh, we began seeing literature in, around 20 years ago, and certainly a lot more recently, uh, that's saying that, you know, yes, it's elevated with obesity, with type 2 diabetes, insulin resistance, hypertension, but now we're really focusing on the fact that it's actually playing a role in causing these problems. One, and I'll just tell you one study uh, by and give you the title, uh, published in 2016, called Uric Acid in Metabolic Syndrome from Innocent Bystander to a central player. Hmm. So rather than just be, you know, we happen to observe this, 
Now the science is breaking down the mechanisms whereby increase in uric acid in a person's body leads to fatty liver disease, leads to elevated blood sugar, insulin resistance, raises the blood pressure, and even tells the body, you better make fat and store that fat away because basically winter is coming. This is a very primitive, preserved system that allows our bodies uh, to get ready for times of food scarcity, which served us wonderfully for about 99.9% of our time on this planet. And it's only now when we really don't have to be concerned about our next meal that we're seeing the downsides of this mechanism, this elevation of uric acid that we have as humans and other primates. Well, it, uric acid, uh, in the minds of most people and most doctors, is simply a risk factor for gout. And gout, of course, uh, is a disease uh, from time immemorial, but it was usually associated with uh, noblemen and women and rich people. Uh, and in fact, it used to be uh, caricatured in cartoons uh, showing uh, people eating high on the hog, you know, guzzling wine and perhaps with, uh, uh, you know, a drumstick in their hand uh, with their foot up on a, on a cushion. Uh, with the toe bandaged, because characteristically it gives you pain in the toe. But now, I guess, uh, we're all, uh, in effect, noblemen and women, and we're all eating high on the hog, and we're drinking a lot. Usually there's a glass of wine in the hand of the caricatured uh, person. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it's a disease of excess. Yes, you know, it was called the uh, the king of diseases and the disease of kings because, you know, traditionally it was associated with people eating basically high on the hog. A, a lot of animal protein, dense, uh, rich in what are called purines. We'll break that down a little bit later. But the biggest player by far and away that we have to be concerned about that's raising our uric acid is not the high level of purine consumption or alcohol. It is fructose sugar. So those are the only three things that are metabolized into uric acid in the human body. Our uric acid level in the 1920s was 3.5, and now it's averaging around 6 milligrams per deciliter. And that increase has totally paralleled in lockstep the rise of our fructose consumption. Overall sugar, which is 50% fructose, and fructose in particular, uh, beginning in the 1970s, even more with the production of high fructose corn syrup that you know, is absolutely everywhere. But so this elevation of uric acid uh, is, is not your grandfather's gout anymore. It's really far more important when we realize that uric acid elevation relates to hypertension and problems with blood lipids and overweight and elevated blood sugar. So this becomes a far bigger problem uh, than simply being related to gout and perhaps kidney stones. So, the common approach and the way I was taught in medical school is that, uh, uh, you know, as you mentioned, uh, gout and elevated uric acid is the result of overconsumption of purines and purines are mostly from animal foods. Uh, I guess a way to understand where it comes from is that they are from the DNA or the RNA in tissue. And so if you eat a, I guess a potato, a potato doesn't have a lot of RNA in DNA. It has a little bit. Uh, it's, it's a big, bundle of starch, uh, so that you could eat potatoes, uh, to, to your heart's content because they're very <laughs> low in, in purines, right? Or you can drink a soda. The soda doesn't have any, uh, purines in it, right? There's no DNA or RNA in a, in a Coke. 
And so I think that's No, but, but a Coke is a far bigger threat to yeah. raising your uric acid than any purines would ever be. I mean, in fact, two-thirds of the purines that you're metabolizing, metabolizing are coming from inside your body. They are, you know, with athletes like yourself, they are the products of muscle breakdown when you, when you exercise. So that's where two-thirds of our purines are coming from. But again, the big issue by far and away isn't alcohol, it isn't purines, it's the fructose. And what the fructose told our ancestors when they suddenly could come upon some blueberries in the late summer or the early fall was, hey, make fat, allow this person to survive. And that was a, a big advantage for us. And, you know, the history of this actually began some 15 to 17 million years ago during the middle Miocene period when the earth cooled. And it didn't happen quickly. It happened over about a million years. So any subtle advantage that one group of primates would have over the next might select for them to survive and pass on their genes. And it turns out that over that period of time, there were a series of mutations in what is called the uricase genes, the genes that code for the production of an enzyme called uricase that would break down uric acid. Well, the gene modification caused that to go away so that their uric acid levels increased and they stored, not that they became fat, but they had just enough extra fat that they ended up surviving and ended up passing on that uricase um, mutation to all the primates that followed and to our Paleolithic ancestors and to Ron Halfman and David Perlmutter and everybody else walking the planet today. So we're, you know, I don't want to say stuck with or saddled with. We were blessed by having this mutation that allowed us to survive. But now in the time of food aplenty, especially fructose, we're still telling our bodies, winter's coming, we're not going to have food. Make that fat, lock it up, turn down metabolism because we need to save our energy. And, you know, we see what happens from that messaging that, you know, is otherwise very appropriate. In other words, you know, we always say that insulin resistance is a terrible thing, raising the blood sugar, awful. But the reality is, for almost all the time walking this planet, those have been survival mechanisms. Mm -hmm. Inf uh, inflammation, a powerful survival mechanism that allowed us to fight off infections, for example. But, you know, even raising the blood pressure through uric acid, powerful survival mechanism during times of water scarcity. And, uh, you know, the, to look at things through that lens really takes you, uh, makes you take a step back a little bit and realize that everything that we talk about that's related to our food choices and lifestyle choices can be looked at differently through the lens of it actually being a protective mechanism for our ancestors. It, it argues for uh, emulating a, a paleo kind of lifestyle where you're after all. Absolutely. We're, we're stone agers in the fast lane with uh, bodies you that bet. are geared to survival on the Serengeti plain of, uh, you know, 200,000 years ago. Uh, but, That's right. Uh, you know, our, our environment is undermining our health. And we call this an evolutionary environmental mismatch so you know for almost all of our time it's been perfectly matched perfectly refined with those refinements taking place over tens of thousands or if not hundreds of thousands of years suddenly with the advent first of agriculture and then far more recently the refinement of sugar <clears throat> we have totally uh, thrown a monkey wrench into the relationship between an evolution and environment between our lifestyle and our genome and we're seeing the consequence of it. But now that we understand that 
the the clarion call here is uric acid screaming to the rest of the body get ready we're not going to have food we're not going to have water here's what needs to happen when we can rein that in we've now gained yet another powerful tool for helping people regain metabolic health that's important because you know our biggest health issues are not some kind of infectious agent but rather the chronic degenerative uh, issues that are related to disturbances of our metabolism. It's, it's a true pandemic. Uh, David, where do you like to see uh, uric acid optimally? Because a lot of people are, are you know, uh, rummaging through their portals and they're looking at the blood tests and saying, what the heck is my uric acid? Is it okay? Is it optimal? I mean, there's a difference between high by the criteria of lab tests and what you consider optimal, correct? Absolutely. And I'm so glad that you brought that up. I'm, I'm not really in the business of wanting people to have a normal blood test. I want to use that term optimal. Normal is pretty much average, right? With a couple of standard deviations thrown in. And understand that the so-called normal level of uric acid at 7 milligrams per deciliter or lower is derived from the gout data because it's right around 7 uh, or above that the uric acid begins to crystallize or precipitate in the blood and then form the types of crystals in the joints that you originally described. But the level as it relates to cardiometabolic health is significantly lower. We want to keep levels at 5.5, again, milligrams per deciliter, uh, or lower. Uh, when we have a level greater than 7, uh, one Japanese study shows risk of hypertension increased 15%, dyslipidemia increased 23%, and in another study, over eight years, people with that level over seven had a 16% increased risk of what is called all-cause mortality, meaning uh, becoming a dead person for any reason whatsoever, and about a 40% increased risk of what is called cardiovascular mortality, dying from heart disease. That is worrisome, and that's also empowering because I'm sure we'll talk about this later on. It's real easy to first understand what your uric acid level is and beyond that to get it under control. Well, there are uh, medical means of getting uric acid under control. Lots of doctors, you know, if they see a uh, uh, uric acid of, uh, you know, 8.5 or 9.2, uh, they reach for the prescription pad. There are drugs, allopurinol, there's euloric. What's the problem with, you know, you know, eating your cake and having it, you know, just correcting the abnormality with the medication. <laughs> well, and not, uh, you know, I, I see that a lot. I mean, I've been out to dinner with people who went ahead and had the key lime pie and popped a metformin, right? You right. Know, and uh, <laughs> the question is, drugs are, are never a free ride. And what we understand with a drug like allopurinol, for example, how it works, we know the mechanism, it targets an enzyme called xanthine oxidase that breaks down uh, these purines and precursors and ultimately would form uric acid. When you target that enzyme with allopurinol, that doesn't happen. You reduce uric acid. But guess what? Quercetin does exactly the same thing. Uh, luteolin, another bioflavonoid, uh, natural product, does exactly the same thing and pretty much does it as effectively as the drug. So I think we would want to ask ourselves before we reach for the drug, as you would tell any patient, look, before we put you on diabetes medicines, why don't we start cutting back on your sugar and your refined carbohydrates? That would be reasonable. Same thing here. 
before we want to jump on uh, uric acid lowering drugs, let's cut back on your fructose consumption, your fruit juice consumption, uh, your alcohol consumption, especially beer. Uh, let's look at your diet in terms of the purines and see where we are in a month or two. And there are some dire side effects uh, of these medications. Uh, allopurinol has some side effects. There was a newer medication that, you know, it's always looking for newer, better, usually more expensive medications that remain on patent. Uh, Eulora came on the market a few years back. But um, I see here when I Google Euloric, the first thing that comes up is Euloric lawsuit, heart-related deaths and cardiovascular injuries. Uh-oh. Well, that, that's true. And as it gets uh, back to allopurinol, there are people who do carry a specific genetic predisposition uh, for developing a, a a pretty aggressive response called Stevens-Johnson syndrome, mm -hmm. where they hemorrhage and their skin uh, you know, off. falls yeah. off, and yeah. it's it's pretty aggressive. But uh, you know, again, it's this is an argument. There's a time and a place for drugs, that's for sure. Uh, but this euloric uh, febuxostat, we talked about it uh, in uh, drop acid, has side effects as well. In fact, does now carry. A, a, a black box. There are certain things that can happen with that, including uh, cardiovascular issues, uh, uh, you know, neurological issues, difficulty speaking, etc. So, uh, again, sometimes we choose medications, but we always look at what is called the risk-benefit ratio. Right. On the other hand, uh, you know, from what I've read in the past, uh, uric acid has a protective role in some ways. As an antioxidant, it, it is a bit of an antioxidant. And there's some speculation that people with too low uh, a uric acid may be at risk for certain problems. In fact, one strategy that was recommended for treatment of Parkinson's disease was to feed a precursor of uric acid to people, which is, I guess, not fructose, but inosine, uh, to boost uric acid. Uh, is, is that something that, uh, you know, do we have to worry if our uric acid is, say, too you know, it's re way low. Uh, you know, we've known about that and explored it for a long time. I have to admit that uh, I actually was treating Parkinson's patients uh, in the day with um, uh, inosine in hopes of raising their uric acid. And uh, interestingly, the uh, Journal of the American Medical Association in September of 2021 published a, a study, an interventional trial on rating Parkinson's patients using a standardized scale, the Unified Parkinson's Disease Rating Scale, giving them uh, this medication to actually raise their uric acid, and there was no improvement. In fact, there was uh, some questionable uh, decline in function, so the, the study was actually mm. halted. So, uh, so that's I think passe. That, that is passe. You know, there was, that was all the rage yeah. a few years ago. Yeah. True, and I, I think that there is some evidence that perhaps – uh, uric acid may act uh, when it's uh, at a higher level in the uh, blood as as an antioxidant, but we know it's an aggressive prooxidant uh, uh, event that's happening within the cell, and that's where it does its damage. That's where it compromises energy production from mitochondria directly, damages mitochondria as a way of slowing metabolism to preserve energy to preserve ATP. That's how it works to keep us to keep our body fat so we can survive that's one of the ways it works in addition to increasing uh the creation of fat and reducing the metabolism of the fat and you know uh understand that this is a powerful hedge against dehydration as well 
Mm. You know, the you think of the the camel walking across the desert for however many weeks without drinking any water. And what's that one identifying feature of a camel is that hump. And that hump isn't filled with, you know, 30 gallons of water. It's fat. When the camel or the hummingbird or a whale or you and I burn fat, we produce carbon dioxide and metabolic water. We're making water. So this whole system uh, evolved to keep us full of uh, or have an energy resource, resource, but also to have metabolic water as well. So mm. everything you can think of that uric acid is doing in the body had its upside. The creation of uh, insulin resistance, which we all talk about as being such a horrible thing. Well, as a matter of fact, when you're uh, starving, you got to power your brain. You need mm -hmm. glucose to power your brain for two reasons, to avoid starvation and to avoid predation. So you don't get eaten by whatever it is that's chasing you down. And that was a powerful survival advantage, a superpower, if you will, that humans had was this incredibly large functional brain. And that was our ace in the hole is power the brain uh, um, amongst all the other considerations because that has been our high card. It, hy hypothetically, is it possible for someone who follows a gout diet, doesn't eat any meat, and usually the culprits are the dark meats, the organ meats, but they don't eat any meat whatsoever, like a fruititarian vegan, could they have a high uric acid? Absolutely. And uh, I'll respond to that question uh, with uh, in taking two tacts here. The first being that the fruititarian is eating fructose, uh, probably to excess, uh, which would then any, you know, anything over five to six grams at a time is going to stimulate then the production of uric acid. So that's where they might get in trouble, especially if they're loading up on fruit juice. That's mm -hmm. a yep. big no, no. Yep. Juicing. Uh, and the Juicing. other thing yep. is, yeah, the other thing is that uh, some people genetically are going to make more uric acid uh, than others. And, you know, they may ultimately need medication, but I would submit that they are few and far between, and that by and large, when we pay attention to the big three, the alcohol, fructose, and purines, we can almost always get uric acid under control, especially when we add in something to inhibit that enzyme, this xanthine oxidase, like allopurinol works, but I would say use quercetin. You can get it at the health food store. Okay, so uh, we're going to pause at this point because our listeners know we divide our podcast into two parts, but in part two... Uh, we're going to explore strategies for helping you to drop acid. Drop acid is the title of a new book just out by today's guest, Dr. David Perlmutter, known uh, to you as the New York Times bestselling author of Grain Brain, which really revolutionized our thinking about uh, low-carb diets and uh, paleo eating. Uh, and Brainwash, also a great book. I interviewed both you and uh, your son, uh, who is the co-author of that book. Uh, a while back. Uh, and uh, so when we return, more information on how you can drop acid using a natural strength. Catchy title, but, uh, you know, <laughs> some people, you know, some people may uh, be looking for uh, a guide to uh, uh, utilizing psychedelics. No, that's not what this is about. That's another subject entirely. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and this is the Intelligent Medicine Podcast.